But last night, the rumor reached me that Aslan is abroad in Narnia. Sire, do not believe this tale. It cannot be. The stars never lie, but men and beasts do. If Aslan were really coming to Narnia, the sky would have foretold it. If he were really come, all the most gracious stars would be assembled in his honor. It is all a lie. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the seventh book in the series, The Last Battle. But, general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today, we are discussing The Last Battle, Chapter 2, The Rashness of the King. Kel, the king has a rash. The king is... He's got a rash. He's he is rash. Someone's there's a rash. There's the, rashness. <laughs> the stars foretell that uh, that this is going to be an itchy chapter. It's you're amen, amen, man. Uh, you cutting all the trees down and all the spores getting in the sky. You're going to be hacking. Yeah, like a rash. Hey, it, it's spring. It's a uh, it's that season. Spring is sprung. Spring hasn't sprung. It is raining constantly. Everything is green, and I haven't been able to breathe quite as well for the last two weeks. And these are all omens that Narnia is coming to an end, as we will discuss in this summary that we will now get to. Uh, Chase, the last of the kings of Narnia, sat outside his little hunting lodge where he loved to get away from the hustle and bustle of Care Paravel. Now, if you are curious, he is the last one. Spoiler alert, C.S. Lewis. His name... Real, real subtle. Was, uh, he, first thing, right? His name was King Tyrion, and he was in his early 20s, 20 to 25, who's to say? Broad-shouldered and fresh-faced, he was there with his dearest friend, Jewel the Unicorn, not the country singer. They spoke together of the wonderful news they had been hearing, that Aslan was back somewhere in the woods of Narnia. The news had come from so many places, squirrels, a stag, even a man from Callerman, which is strange. It must be true that suddenly they heard hooves coming toward them and a centaur rode up to them, who they greeted and welcomed, hoping for more news of Aslan. When asked about this, the centaur frowned and told them that he had seen nothing but dark and ominous warnings in the stars above Narnia. He said the stars do not tell of Aslan's return to the forest, and the king should not believe this because men and beasts lie, but stars do not. The king reacted poorly to this, saying he couldn't believe anyone would lie about such a thing, and Jewel chimed in saying Aslan is not a slave of the stars, but their maker. After all, the stories say that he is not a tame lion. The centaur was about to respond when the three heard a voice coming toward them, crying out, Whoa, 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 for the holy trees. And a wood dryad came before them, exclaiming that the great trees of lantern waste were being cut down. Suddenly she cried out as though she was being repeatedly struck and then fell over dead and vanished. Poof. The king, in grief and anger, said they must go at once to find and kill whoever did this. The centaur runewit cautioned the king to take a moment, since the three of them would not be able to face rebels at arms. But the king would not listen and said he and Jewel would go at once, but instructed runewit to ride to Care Paravel and bring a score of men at arms. Tyrion and Jewel walked quickly, the king too angry to talk. 
They crossed the river together and then saw a raft of a half dozen large trees, tree trunks bound together, being navigated by a water rat, which I assume is a rat who knows water bending. They called out to ask what he was doing, and he replied he was taking the logs downstream to sell to the Calermines, and that the lion himself, Aslan, had ordered it. The king wondered to Jewel if it could be possible that Aslan would have had the dryads cut down and sold to the Calermines, and Jewel replied that he's not a tame lion. They went forward and then turned white at what they saw. Right through the middle of the ancient forest, a lane had been cut like a gash where trees had been felled and dragged away. Beasts and horses and a large number of calermen walked or worked to cut down the Narnian forest. They even realized the horses, the calermans were driving hard and shouting insults that were not their own dumb horses, but the talking horses of Narnia. At this fact, both the king and Jewel went into a rage and they struck two of the calermen dead. Chase, this is like, C.S. Lewis was like, listen, I've heard your your qualms. I've heard your, ooh, he doesn't show any killing. And he's like, how about this? And he's got so much murder in this chapter. Yeah, three deaths in one chapter. Like and, brutal ones. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. In past books, the walking scene that, which audience there is in fact a walking scene in this chapter would yeah, but have been a whole chapter in itself right them crossing the river in silence would have been seven pages yeah so it's at least it's only two pages in this chapter <laughs> yeah man like he's just like going for it he goes hey this is my last book i don't have an editor let's get to it and yeah. he just goes for it yeah which should C.S. Lewis be required to give a spoiler warning in his own chapters? Man, I mean, starting it is with the, the Last of the Kings of Narnia, is, the book uh, is called The Last Battle. But like, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, The Last of the Kings of Narnia definitely foretells things aren't going to go well. Yeah, lets you know that this is in fact the last book, <laughs> right? Because like the last battle, theoretically. You could win, and you like Narnia could so. continue. Look, but there like, was a time never... when World War One was the Great War, the war to end all wars, and look where we are now. And then Germany got bored for thirty years and did it again. <laughs> I mean, bored is a strong way. To I, I don't know. They, they didn't due. seem very bored. They did a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of movement in that time. Yeah, but they just wanted to attack the world again. I yeah, think. I don't know. Germany feels like they're due, but uh, I I like it. You subscribe to the inevitability of war theory. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is what it is. But we come upon the last of the kings of Narnia, Tyrion, and his good buddy, his best friend, his brother, Jewel the Unicorn. Yeah, honestly, Man, this is how I wanted Game of Thrones to end. It just. Just Jon Snow and a unicorn riding into battle? No, Tyrion is king and... Uh, oh, <laughs> the actual Tyrion. And a yeah. casual ma magical beast just hanging out. Like, if Tyrion could have adopted either a dragon or a uh, or a dire wolf and also ended up king... If he could have, that would like, have, if he could have somehow gotten one of the dire wolves that, like, escaped and was like, what happened? And they come back. Yeah. That would have been pretty dope. Yeah. Or... 
None of this is spoilers for the actual end of Game of Thrones, by the way. We're not going to say what happened. We're just telling you that these things didn't happen. Yeah, so if that disappoints you, you... I mean, look, there's no way you wouldn't be disappointed by the last season of Game of Thrones. So there's nothing we can do to cause any damage here. Definitely. But they're chilling. Chase, how do you feel about the name Jewel the Unicorn? Or like a war horse? I mean, I don't know. Like... It feels very like oxymoron e, if that makes sense. Like I don't yeah. know where to place it though. It makes more sense of why the front of the cover of my version of this book is a like metallic unicorn coming out of a gate from hell. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it tracks really fully fit. But you know, I just like for me. Jewel is a good unicorn name, but it feels like the unicorn that you would see in Harry Potter, like, um, you know, shimmering in the woods, not like the war horse that's like, they've saved each other's lives. He's sharpening his horn. He's going to gore a man to death later yeah. this chapter. Yeah, he C- does stab someone Jewel. through and kill him later in this chapter. Something that I don't think I've ever read a unicorn actually doing in literature Something you've always wanted them to do, but I don't think they've ever gone for it because unicorns are supposed to be like this pure, pure, like magical, like gentle. It's supposed to be the peaceful, like magic beast of the forest that you protect, not the protector, which I think is why I'm like feeling some dissonance about the name because Jules yeah. is a perfectly fine unicorn name. Yeah. You just expect it to be singing country music and healing people. Right. Exactly. Agreed. 100%. Not, you know, listening to its murder train podcast or like, you know, Spotify playlists and just like raging against the world. But, you know, alas, we move forward. Tyrion's in a great mood because Aslan's returned and they're hearing it from all these reliable sources like freaking squirrels and birds and deer. Like you would want this to be the king's attitude if you were a Narnian, if you were the king of Narnia, like, and heard all these rumors, all these multiple sources confirming, like, yes, Aslan is in the forest. He's back. And it's, like, you you want the king to be joyful about that. Because, like, yeah. there's nothing in the stories that say Aslan would appear to the king in Care Paravel first. Like, totally. Aslan would totally just be randomly see whatever he wants and like yeah. stuff out on his own. But uh, yeah, it's the, I don't know. The second half of this chapter is what confirms that the uh, Runewick, the, the centaur yeah. is right here. And we know he's right because we read the first chapter, but right. it's uh yeah, it, I mean, and- it's a good attitude. Totally. And it's it's funny because he's like, he's pumped and he's looking at Jewel, who is not like, you know, using the same emotion. He's like, hey, why aren't you excited? And I get like real Captain Hole from Brooklyn Nine-Nine vibes here where he's like, I believe it all. If I seem not to, it is only that my joy is too great to let my belief settle. And it's like, he's like, it is almost too beautiful to believe. Or it's just like Captain Hole being like, I have never been more excited in my life. <laughs> just like real deadpan. Yep. Rides a, a five on the emotional wave all the time, but Maintain like so they grimace. Absolutely, 
right? And so they're chilling, you know, talking about how excited they are. And then your boy, Rune Wit, comes riding up and they give him a bowl of wine that is strong enough for six men. And he just downs it and he's like, oh, that was good water. And <laughs> I assume. Heck he was, yeah. he's, he's just pounding it. Um, <laughs> just what way to start your morning. <laughs> he's like, I in my mind, this parched. is 10 a.m. He is like, I'm parched. Turn me upside down over that keg over there. Like, oh <laughs> that would be very hard for a centaur to do a keg stand. You, you got to have some strong friends. Yeah. Uh, you I mean, you've got four legs to get in the air and a horse body. Yeah. Which is yeah. not light. But uh, he's like, hey, sorry to be Debbie Downer over here, but everything that you're hearing is actually a lie because the stars are off. Yeah, it's fully, uh, man, everything says this is the darkest day of all time. So <laughs> any news to the contrary, you better be, uh, you better be wary of. Which is C.S. Lewis's real angsty phase. Yeah, which like, I do like, I, I'll, yeah. I'll talk about some of this in, in my further up and further in later. So I'll, I'll save some of that, but like the idea that you've got a, I guess if you could call it an objective source versus a handful of subjective sources and having to have this King and yeah. us as an audience react to like, okay, well, who do you believe? Cause everyone else is saying that as right. in town and right. this one guy who has like, his own he's he's got the farmer's almanac over here saying <laughs> otherwise it's i like it because I, and and again i don't know how much you're going to dive into this but when you look at like again tss is not hiding the fact that everything is allegory and he's like if aslan would have returned the sky would have foretold it nature would declare right who can lie people that are you know speaking and people that are walking around like conscious beasts and people. But it, like when you read scripture, it talks about like, if we were to shut our mouths, the glory of God would be, you know, sung in praises by rocks, by streams, by trees and by nature, where it's like nature will foretell the glory and holiness of the Lord. And so it's like when Aslan is walking, it's like, no, you'll know, like it's, it's yeah. going to be clear. And so I, I like that. And especially because it gives hints that's like, well, the Calarmine, like I, there was a Calarmine who said that like Aslan had turned and they don't care at all for Aslan. Yeah. So why would, and it's like, yeah, it's because they're in on it. Yeah. Which, I mean, we know they're in on it by the end of the chapter, but in the right. moment at that point, it feels like one of the most subtle pieces of writing that C.S. Lewis has ever done. It's way uh, more subtle than the last king of Narnia. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. But and like, like, oh well. Then the king is about to make a bad decision. Like, yeah. But these people don't have any any dog in this fight, as far as like whether Aslan right. be here or not. Like, they wouldn't be pro Aslan being there. So if they say it, then it must be. Yeah. Right. Chase, we we come to the point in this chapter where, I mean, I think you and I are going to be in heavy agreement on this. Um, and I, I look forward to explaining this to you why. 
because the king goes like, who would lie about this? Like if the stars aren't in alignment, like, and Jewel goes, well, would Aslan, like Aslan's not a slave to the stars. Like he's not a tame lion. And I think we can all agree the reason that, you know, everything goes wrong in this book because people get deceived is because of Mr. Beaver. Yeah. Spreading this, spreading this propaganda that Aslan is not a tame lion. Yeah. The, uh, the first, <laughs> was Mr. Beaver the first casual racist in our, in our story? It, it's fitting yeah. if it comes back around. Yeah. It, like, and that comment it for sense. our audience will make more <laughs> sense as we get into this book because that's an off pod conversation I'm realizing. But well, uh, I think we talked about it because I think if we go back, granted, this was a long time ago when we were talking about Lion Witch yeah. and Wardrobe, but I believe Mr. Beaver is the one that makes a comment such along the lines of like, oh, dwarves are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. They do so, which for, for context, for my comment on this book, there's going to be a lot of tough stuff about the Calermanes. If you listen to our Horse and His Boy podcast, it'll be around the same same vibe of uh oh you you're doing that huh um right so yeah heads up trigger we, trigger warning for this entire we are going book. to we are going to try to focus more on the aspects of the calamines that make them evil as opposed to the things that like c.s lewis picks certain cultural aspects that are just different than the english are um, yeah it's, uh, we're going to focus on like, hey, they're deceiving people by making a fake Aslan. That's bad. We're not going to focus on like, they're a different skin color. They're, yeah. So they're bad. Yeah. Being a different race and culture does not make a group of people evil. <laughs> Correct. So, sorry if anyone's shocked by that. But uh, C.S. Lewis probably could have used that note. Racism, not cool. Uh, as a podcast that's our official stance racism official stance bad we are we are pushing the you know social envelope on this one uh but again i gotta say mr beaver arguably to blame for all of this nonsense because if they like again they're hearing aslan's not a tame lion but they're forgetting the whole but he's good part because Would a good lion, would a good Aslan chop trees down? No, a not a not, a not tame Aslan, sure, he'll do whatever he wants. Right? Yeah, which that vibe of like partially quoting and misquoting Bible verses to justify whatever you're seeing in the moment is very much the problem of the first half of this book. <laughs> Definitely, right? It's that sounds close enough, right? Yeah. And but. You know, gotta say, yeah, not a fan, Mister Beaver. You're, you're you're arguably to blame here. Yeah, which I mean, if you've ever been around any uh, groups of Christians who are really into the end times, like, oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, we're both of the age that grew up with like Left Behind series type stuff, and there is and there's nothing wrong with those series as a whole. I mean, it's just, yeah. In terms of like, with, like if, you, if you like them, you like them. Yeah. I, I, they're bad replacements for the Bible. 
Correct. Uh, not they should not be your theological compass. Absolutely. I know that I know some people will be very upset by that statement. Don't at me. Another hot take: Nicholas Cage does not speak with the word of canon. It's. I've genuinely been in like, like arguments with people who are like very emotionally like upset at the idea that I don't think that Left Behind is like be for exactly what's going to what happen. The Bible says, and like to the point where they're like, "Oh, so you don't believe the Bible?" Then I'm like, "That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying you are relying on an extra source that I don't think right. is a good job of interpreting." But anyway, you're telling you're telling me that insert current president name here is not the Antichrist. Like, how dare you? Yeah. Way, way to keep it evergreen. This will be relevant 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Correct. No one knows when we're recording this. It could be any time. <laughs> this could be when, you know, President Timothy Chalamet is in office. Man. That's maybe a prophetic word. Hashtag not my, not my, not, <laughs> not my Chalamet. Chalamet. <laughs> I voted for Zendaya. <laughs> oh. This is the this is the hypothetical future where it's Timothy Chalamet running against Zendaya, and I don't what know. Parties are these? Parties have dissolved at this point. This is parties, the apocalyptic. The parties are actually just partying, like they're literal parties where like people just get together and rage. But uh, back to the story it's that we're actually June supposed to be addressing. Two. There you go. Uh, it's, it's been a rift. A rift between. Um, oh my gosh, Paul and. Uh, I don't remember. I need to rewatch that movie before the next. I read the books. Uh, I've started the books and could not get very far in. My piece of advice for the Dune books: like you can read, definitely read one. If you want, like read two is good. Maybe three. Then they start getting real weird, and it's like, whoa, what happened? Yeah, I don't I know think that's all you need. One. <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, just as they're, you know, deciding to, you know, be like, maybe Aslan would cut down all these trees and, or like, maybe Aslan would, you know, cut, like, this is before the trees. Uh, maybe he would, you know, announce himself without the stars because he's not a tame lion. Lo and behold, a poor little, you know, tree dryad comes running into the screen, the scene, screaming and like in agony. And this is where we're like, this begins like a brutal because she's like, yeah, this woe is for tough. my brother. Yeah. Woe for my brothers and sisters. Woe for the holy trees. The woods are laid waste. The axe is loosed against us. We are being felled. Great trees are falling, falling, falling. And as she's like saying it, she is like getting, you can like, she is the, you know, spirit of a tree. And she is like embodying being a tree being cut down as she's talking and she gets murdered in front of them. Yeah. It's honestly wild because it says, so she's shuddering time after time as if under repeated blows. Then all at once she fell sideways as suddenly as if both her feet had been cut from under her for a second, they saw her lying dead on the grass and then she vanished. They knew what had happened. Her tree miles away had been cut down. That's intense. <laughs> This is crazy, man. Like, we have not, like, you couldn't show us the white witch being killed 
you couldn't show us so many things, but you decide to show us this poor, innocent tree spirit being brutalized. Oh. Yeah, it's it's wild. Like C.S. Lewis got gritty real quick. Um, yeah, which also this is like, the- like these are two red flags in a row. <coughs> it makes it so much tougher that they can't see when they go into the next part of this chapter that like, this is clearly not of Aslan. And that's something that like, I feel like will be a conversation. I mean, maybe in this chapter, maybe as we keep going forward, but like the conversation of like, is Aslan's not tame, but he's good, not safe, but he's good. But like, the good piece being essential and also testing like a way of doing things by its fruit. In addition to just what sounds right, like things that are of Aslan should look like Aslan things. Right. If something doesn't look, feel, taste, smell like Aslan, it's probably not Aslan. Yeah. Uh, And if it's got Aslan's veneer, like printed on the front of it. Totally. And again, you look at like scripture, and this is what is going to be foretold with like, there are going to be people who say they like are coming in Jesus's name, but they're going to deny the like parts of Jesus that are crucial. They're yeah. going to go against what is scripture and Jesus can't go against himself. Like God, like whenever Jesus is claimed to be, you know, the prince of demons, he's like, how could I cast out demons and be the head of demons. That's stupid. And he's like, if I was of God and I'm portraying God, I like, I have to, I can't be against myself. Right. And that's Aslan. And so this leads Tyrion and Jewel into a fit of rage where they're like, all right, let's go on a murder spree. We'll leave no one alive. And Runewit's like, Hey, there's two of you. Maybe you should get an army. And he's like, great idea. You go do that. We're going to go now. Uh, And like, it's, again, it's one of those things where C.S. Lewis, uh, he realizes uh, that, you know, he had been so subtle previously with his foreshadowing that now he's like, just kidding. This is going to be a really bad idea. Because the king is just like, all right, let's go. And Runewood's like, great, go for it. And C.S. Lewis, over the next couple pages, is just going to be like, hey, remember that whole title of the chapter thing, The Rashness of the King? Bad idea. Not great. Yeah, this is where the king got his rash from. It really the is. The king's rash. Do you think it's from the river? <laughs> it actually might be. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen the uh, that new Sandra Bullock movie last year, uh, The Lost City? So funny. It's. It makes me think of uh, the uh, eczema from getting in water. That's uh, that's <laughs> what that, the, that brought to mind. The little the ticks and like leeches and stuff. Yeah, um, that movie, like so surprisingly funny. Yeah, uh, so good. And Daniel Radcliffe, like hilarious in that movie. Daniel Radcliffe is great as a villain in a comedy. It's. Uh, I, it's I'm enjoying it. I, I hope he, you know, gets more things. He's also great as uh, as fake Weird Al 
in the Weird Al biopic. Yeah, that movie. Of- yeah, that movie was insane. He's also in a comedy troupe that has I can't remember the name of the uh, the TV show off the top of my head, but they do Harry like- Potter. Yeah, yeah, Harry Potter. That that famous comedy. Uh, no, it's it's like a they do like a different like storyline every season, but they all kind of play the same types of characters. It's yeah, I, I'm not sure how to describe it other than it's it's a fun fun and funny time. Great, but so the king and jewel they make their way through. They are so angry they don't even talk to each other. They run through the river. They, you know, the king's, you know, he's not angry enough that he doesn't dry off the sword. Thank God. Uh, thank you for that bit of information and detail, C.S. Lewis. Uh, but it's the they only see, sport. yeah, they see, you know, a half a dozen uh, giant trees that have been, uh, you know, felled and, and knocked down and turned into a, ra- a raft being guided by a water rat. Yeah. Like, is this. A ratatouille situation? <laughs> That's what I, bro. That was exactly what I was picturing. Was like Remy over here, like yeah. just with a with a pole from like a gondolier. Yeah, this like, is just a French Riviera situation. Oh, the Keller memes that gives the order to cut this trace down. Oh, who gives them the order? The lion himself, Aslan. That is what he says. <laughs> I in my head now, this rat is French. It, Even though Remy is not actually French, but like, don't worry. I about mean, it. given that this is the only interaction we're going to have with this water rat, I feel like it's fair to just make him French. He's French. That's what you think? If they saw think. a French water rat navigating six trees down the river, saying that the orders came from Aslan to not only like bring these to the Calamans, but to sell them to the Calamans. Yeah. So we have introduced both the murder of sentient trees, ancient yeah. magical forests in Narnia, which we can touch on a second, and also essentially the uh, <laughs> trigger warning, uh, uh, corruption of capitalism into Narnia. Definitely. And not just that, but like they're also, they're using the ancient magic trees that are living beings and they're cutting them down and to help resource Narnia's historical greatest enemy. Yeah. Which like, I think the note in this section, which didn't make it into the summary, but like he makes sure to remind us, this is the same place where the tree of silver and tree of gold were planted back, like way back when, He's acknowledging the fact that uh, the book before this one was Magician's Nephew. Yeah. But, like, the tree that protects protected Narnia from the White Witch, the trees that made the king and queen's crowns of Narnia, like, all of this story started here, in this wood, where the lantern post got dropped and turned into the always lit lantern that's the first thing that the Pevensey children saw when they came into Narnia like this is the center point of Narnian lore and our story and they're tearing it down like they've just cut it down and yeah it is meant to give us a reaction that fits in with the reaction that 
Tyrion and Jewel have. Of course, should we murder people over trees being cut down? I mean, not in my opinion, but also I don't see tree... Our trees aren't, aren't magical living things, or dryads, to our knowledge. So, uh... Treebeard would be so disappointed in you, Chase. I mean, he would take too long to let me know. He'd be chopped down before he could get that sentence out. I don't know, man. I've seen two towers. The ants are, uh... I'm not <laughs> mad. I'm he's be- just disappointed. He's, he's like, you, you hasty, you hasty king... You hasty, you know, unicorn, like slow down. Uh, but they, you know, they see all this. And again, we're introduced to the second time that they're using the phrase, like, how could this be possible? Aslan wouldn't do these things. And they go, well, he's not a tame lion. How are we to know what Aslan would do? Right. And they're like, well, I guess we just have to figure out what's going on. And they move forward. They see the, you know, all the trees being cleared out. Um, and they see what is like the thing that that drives them to even more insanity filled rage is that it's basically the Calermines have come in and they're taking over they're you know felling all the trees they've driven out uh you know the talking beasts and men and they are now using the like talking horses of narnia as beasts of burden uh, in the same way, and again, we have to remember the like order of operations for these stories. Like in in written order, he went Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, um, Silver Chair, and then back to Horse and His Boy, and then the Great or the Magician's Nephew, and then back to this to the last battle. And what we're seeing here is a reflection of the horse and his boy of the difference between the talking horses of Narnia and the regular horses of the rest of the world and why it's such a big deal when you add sentience and consciousness to a creature. Um, and that, you know, gives it quote unquote personhood. And this is too far for Tyrion and Jewel to, uh, they, they, they can't allow this anymore. Uh, because they have a real Moses moment here. They have a real Moses moment, right? Where they they see their you know their brethren being enslaved and whipped, and uh, they decide, hey, time to murder. And like again, the chapter ends with the sentence, the like they rushed forward together. Next moment, both the Calermines lay dead, the one beheaded by Tyrion's sword, and the other gored through the heart by Jewel's horn. Jeez. Come on, Clive. You've never met a unicorn like me. (laughs) Jewel is like, you don't know the mistake that you have made, my friend. And like, I just don't even know how to respond to this. What'd you say? I just like, I don't even know how to respond to like, it's like, no, this is, this is brutal. But this is what you get for having a 20-year-old in charge of your country. A 20 to 25-year-old, which yeah. C.S. Lewis makes sure that we know he is between 20 and 25. C.S. Lewis, yeah, you're the author. Yeah, you're in charge. You get to decide what his age is. You don't have to guess. You can just say a number and we'll believe you. 
We're not going to uh, ask any follow-up questions. Somewhere between an old Zoomer and a young millennial. Uh, I mean, that's... Just tell us. Yeah, the the old Zoomer, young millennial line is now in their late 20s, unfortunately. <laughs> Hi. I'm the problem. We, we are the young millennials. Also, to, uh, to date and age this podcast, Taylor Swift is in town right now, and the entire city is panicking and shutting down. You know, you want to hear something incredibly sad for me? Um, you don't get to go? I No, well, I got offered to buy two tickets for like 275 total, but we have stuff going on on Sunday, and I was I was pretty devastated. Yeah, the, the girl I'm dating and her sister got last-minute tickets for like 65 bucks each and, and are going tonight. It's uh Bruh. But yeah, there there was traffic like through the entertainment district in Arlington last night because of uh, or yesterday afternoon because the line for merch merch was so long, and yeah. it also just happens to be opening weekend for the Texas Rangers, which is literally thirty feet from the Cowboys Stadium. Man. <laughs> so, it's a uh, yeah. There's a whole section of town that I'm just not driving through today. It's gonna be really fun when the Rangers are like, "Where the heck are all the people?" And like their stadium has like four pe- like four kids in there, uh, just running around. And then you like they're gonna be on they the broadcast be across the street at the XFL game. <laughs> they're gonna just over the like broadcast on like Valley Sports Southwest. You just hear like. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. Like it's like it's so loud from yeah. from the from Jerry World that it's just shaking globe life. Oh my gosh. I mean, you'd think that they would have made those uh those ceilings a little bit more soundproof when they added the AC to the Rangers games, but you know You would have thought but apparently do? not strong enough for Taylor Swift and also no. not strong enough for Taylor Swift fate because C.S. Lewis lets us know that this was a, this is going to be a horrible decision made by Tyrion and Jewel to go in and you know with their rash go and attack uh, you know these Calarmines and start a fight and as we know Tyrion is the last king of Narnia yeah. so his days are numbered guess so and yeah this chapter ends on the cliffhanger it's the screen freezes on their kind of confused kind of angry faces and the credits start rolling with big reputation big reputation. <laughs> they say i did something bad but why does it feel so good says Tyrion. uh <laughs> man yeah. there's a lot of Taylor Swift songs that can apply to this situation uh and really every situation i think truly but but yeah, she has she, so many eras that she really has an album for every vibe of this uh, this yeah. whole this whole book. I think in our last podcast, we should clap like you know how they like you know sort people into like Hogwarts houses or whatever. I think we should sort characters and or books into Taylor Swift eras. I'm I'm for that. <laughs> I mean, we got to fill the last podcast somehow, but yeah, if we're gonna do any any kind of bonus, I like that way more than watching the movies. <clears throat> no, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't plan on watching any movies. Yeah, I don't. Lionel Witch in the Wardrobe, sure. Prince Caspian, maybe. 
Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Hail to the now. What about the uh, the old movies with the flying puppet la- Aslan? Bro, I I remember watching those in my public school elementary yeah. and being like, "This is wild." Uh, with the animatronic like like lion mouth opening and like it, you know, it was crazy. But I remember just going like, "Why are we watching this in at like public school?" As a, like an elementary school kid, being like, this feels way more churchy than anything I, we've ever done. I mean, being being a North Texan instead of a uh, an Austin Texan, uh, in my origin, yeah, it did not feel out of place to uh, watch a Christian movie in elementary school. But now you just uh, read passages from the Bible as English, like. I mean, yeah, it was uh, it was the early two thousands in, in North Texas. It uh, it, it all tracks, but yeah, we definitely watched that one in like my sixth grade, like language arts class. And that teacher, that English teacher in elementary school, is the first person who had me read Magician's Nephew, which remains so far my favorite one of these books. Yeah, I mean. If you have a penchant for murder, maybe this book might overtake it. But because, uh, I mean, given the tr- the track he's on, I mean, it's there's, there's only going to be more. And I know of several that I remember that are significant murders and deaths. Um, I don't and, remember anything about this book other than other than the very what end. we've already found. So it's a so it'll be great then for you. Long uh, way to go. But I think the last thing I want to mention uh, before we dive further up and further in is this is, again, now not only breaking precedence with chapter one, but breaking precedence for a second straight chapter without the main character children being in the story. Oh, that's right. I forgot they were going to be in this story. Right. Like the main characters. <laughs> You're right. Of the la- the main characters of the last battle are Eustace and Jill and they're still not in Narnia. Like C.S. Lewis, you are, you are bold. My friend, you look at you changing story structure. He's really counting on us to care about what happens here. He's like, he's like, look how much I've developed as a mature author. Like, I don't even, I'm not even going to tell you about these children. Look (laughs) at them. There's just death and deception. (laughs) yep that's uh you know classic clive if i know clive i know that he loves him some murder i mean look he was in a in a war war and a half and on that note most uh, most of his writing from that war is poetry weirdly enough but you know he was there yeah yeah but chase would you like to dive further up and further in for us real quick I would love to uh, wade shoulders deep through this river further up and further in. Um, that's a reference that the uh, listeners don't get because they didn't read this chapter. But Unless right. you did, in which case, good on you. I mean, that's shocking. Honestly, shout out, respect, all the things. Um, all the yeah, things. So for my further up and further in, I just wanted to talk briefly about this idea of omens. Um, so this kind of foretelling, foreshadowing, 
but more than just regular foreshadowing. We're talking like symbols in the sky, symbols around that you can see and feel and interact with that say, hey, red flag, something bad is about to happen. You know, omens, the word we get ominous from. Um, this is actually super common with like the way C.S. Lewis did it in this chapter with a centaur being the deliverer of this omen in the stars. Um, because like, think like Harry Potter, where the centaurs are the ones to say, man, Mars is bright tonight. This means that war and death are coming. Like centaurs are commonly that kind of wise, connected with nature and higher power kind of character that would deliver something like that. that. Um, but even think about like one thing that came to mind was in the Star Wars prequels, which now not the worst Star Wars spinoffs we've gotten, uh, where the Jedi Council <laughs> warn about Anakin and are looking at his uh, his midichlorian counts and and kind of feeling out the Force and be like, you know, we don't really we don't really get a good vibe from this kid. And if they had listened, what could have been avoided? Um, but yeah, basically anytime a wise character who is in touch with nature or some higher power points out a warning that is, has been revealed in that way, or, or when some piece of symbolism in the story is meant to let either, you know, as the reader or the characters know where things are going. And it's usually not a good sign. It's red flags written in the sky kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, mine is related uh, in terms of ominous natures of things, but uh, mine is the degradation of nature in fiction and in fantasy in particular, and, and how it often points towards evil, towards uh, corruption, you know. And we see this in this chapter. Obviously, the Calamines and fake Aslan are, you know, commanding the felling of these magical woods, and uh, it, that is, you know, one of the signs of the last days of Narnia. And this same idea is echoed in Lord of the Rings with Saruman and the, the Urukai uh, cutting down the trees and killing ints so that they can, uh, you know, create their engines of war and, you know, make, you know, more fire to create more Urukai and things like that. You see, uh, you know, in colonial metaphor movies, whether that's Pocahontas, Fern Gully, Avatar, you know, the, evil corporation, company, people, you know, whatever, are chopping down trees. They're destroying the land to, you know, get something for themselves. It's often presented as, you know, the sign of something evil. Um, you know, in World War One, you know, we, we mentioned this earlier, uh, something that both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were a part of. Uh, you know, one of the side effects, if you want to call it that, of World War One was a devastation of the English countryside, you know, trees were uprooted and, um, you know, to sometimes for, uh, like industrialization, sometimes by creating, you know, the land for the war itself, uh, where, you know, things are being uprooted. And, and that is a huge thing where like every, like, because the, the countryside is decimated, nature is decimated. That is a sign that this is something evil and wicked that is occurring. Uh, and, so much of that is because, as we mentioned earlier, nature, because it is pure, it is uncorrupted, it is 
it is what it is and it is what it was created to be is a sign that this is generally something that is good. Uh, and when something that is pure and untainted by the you know, devices of men and the mechanisms of men is now corrupted or destroyed by, you know, evil men or, you know, evil beings uh, who are seeking to spread their influence over nature. That is a sign of evil. And that is going to be one of the like cues to the rest of Narnia and the surrounding areas that this is the last days of Narnia, that these, that things are coming to an end, not just because C.S. Lewis says so, but because he writes so, right? Because the you know the trees are being destroyed, therefore Narnia is not in good shape. But Chase, woe is the listener who has to hear this podcast. Woe are those who have stuck around. Woe are you because you are you know just to have to listen to my voice probably too much for your own uh, good. But I bring tidings of how you can make this better, Chase. You and these other Great listeners joy. can. Great joy. Uh, the the tidings written in the stars uh, for ways to you know make this podcast better and to bring it to its last and swift and final days. Subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. You know, follow us wherever you can on you know and share us with your friends anywhere you find podcasts: Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Uh, you know, speaking of stars, stars, five stars count them even if you hate the podcast give us five stars anyway that'll show us leave a five-star review that says how much you hate the podcast that'd be hilarious that'll tell us we'll feel the burn truly uh and 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 we'll feel we'll feel silly for it so you should do that uh and then nothing would make uh, us look dumber than keeping doing a podcast despite getting bad reviews on a five-star bingo uh and the final way to follow the you know, the omens and, and reading the tea leaves of how you can uh, discern what is coming up on the podcast and what's going on is to follow us on Instagram at, at the Chronicles of Podcast, where you can see what uh, when new episodes are posted and you can keep up with us through the weeks. But Chase, whoa, woe is us. Try not to get gored by a unicorn. Whoa. Whoa, not whoa, or whoa, but whoa. I mean, name this TV show. Whoa, just take it easy, man. I believe that is the Smurfs 2. Nah, that's a Drake and Josh reference. Mm, Maybe. Could be be Chipmunks 3, Chipwrecked. Uh, I see, you have a child. I don't. He's he's a grown man. It's been that long on the podcast. (laughs) Your child's graduated college. Some would say he's one year old. Some would say he's 83. Who's to tell? Who knows when you're listening to this podcast? Are we all? Who knows knows if you're even still listening to this podcast? Because we're just rambling. Yeah. Is this part of the podcast? Is this the stinger? Who can say?